in the United States, we can learn a lot about what people really, truly believe by what they do with their money. Tech stocks keep going through these bloom periods because people believe that technology is going to keep growing in importance. People want, investors want to strike it big with a small investment on, you know, a company that, that takes off because of its importance. But you'll notice very few green energy companies have that same sort of wild investment. And that's because there are still a lot of people who don't yet believe that green energy is the future. Part of the reason we have so many prisons in our country is because those in power believe either certain people are not redeemable or they're not worth redeeming or even worse. If your real estate agent tries to get you to buy a condo in a, a struggling development and you find out that the agent just sent, sold their own condo in that same development, you're probably not going to believe them when they say this is a good investment. It is not for no good reason that we have phrases like talk is cheap. Put your money where your mouth is. We believe that actions speak louder than words, particularly when those actions include monetary investment. So the action at the heart of this morning's story speaks very clearly to us here in the U.S. today in the midst of a very tumultuous, tumultuous, uncertain time in the life of God's people. God commands Jeremiah to use his own money, his own silver, to purchase a piece of land in Jerusalem. Oh, actually, it's, in, uh, it's outside of Jerusalem. It's in the, the territory of Benjamin. But purchase a piece of land. The act is a very concrete sign that Jeremiah believes in the future that God promises for the area of Judah. And I believe that in a very similar way, in a very uncertain time for us, that God gives us a very substantial sign of our future and encourages, encourages us to claim that future by living it today. This morning uh, is the first sermon in a series that will take us through summer. At the same time, it's actually a continuation of a series that started last summer, Last summer, we covered the first half of the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a Jewish prophet from the 6th century before Christ. I chose Jeremiah last summer because of the ways it seemed to speak to our circumstances, even though it was written over two and a half millennia ago and in a country very far from ours. This summer... We'll cover the second half of Jeremiah, and it feels like it even more closely parallels our circumstances. In this book, God frequently speaks through Jeremiah to all God's people over and over again, proclaiming 
Don't be deceived by the lies you are hearing from those in power. And don't be afraid of forces that seem too powerful to be overcome. God holds the future. Trust God and act accordingly. Proclaiming these truths got Jeremiah into a lot of trouble. We hear the historical circumstances facing Jeremiah and God's people in verses 1 and 2. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah. So that's one uh, marker that we have in the history. Uh, Judah was the northern part of what had been the, the whole kingdom of Israel. And it was the 10th year of Zedekiah, Zedekiah, but also the, that meant the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar, the, the king of Babylon, which was an enormous power, um, that was now seeking to move in and overcome Judah. The army of the king of Babylon was then besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was confined in the courtyard of the guard in the royal palace of Judah. He was in prison, essentially. Um, And we hear uh, why he was confined, and it was because he was telling the truth. We hear that Zedekiah was imprisoned because uh, he was, and Zedekiah said to, excuse me, Jeremiah was imprisoned because Zedekiah was saying, why do you prophesy as you do? You say, this is what the Lord says. I'm about to hand this city over to the king of Babylon and he will capture it. Zedekiah, me, king of Judah, will not escape out of the hands of Babylonians, but will certainly be handed over to the king of Babylon. And will speak to him face to face and see him with his own eyes. Zedekiah, me, will take, uh, be taken to Babylon where he will remain until I deal with him, declares the Lord. If you fight against the Babylonians, you will not succeed. Zedekiah is like, why do you keep saying this? I don't want to hear that. So he puts him in prison because he doesn't want anybody else to hear it either. But the truth is, most of the people wouldn't, didn't. I mean, they'd heard it from Jeremiah, but they didn't believe it. The people and the leaders thought they had a privileged position because they were God's people. They didn't think anything truly bad would happen to Jerusalem because they were special to God's plans. I have to interject. I kept reading about these types of things, and I could not help but thinking how we hear so much about American exceptionalism. Just a little parallel there. They didn't think anything would truly, truly bad would happen because they were so much a part of God's plan and they had heard that, but they didn't live as God had desired for them. In verses 30 through 35, I'm trying to see my numbers. Okay. The people of Israel and Judah have done nothing, this is God speaking, have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth 
Indeed, the people of Israel have done nothing but provoke me with their hand, with what their hands have made, declares the Lord. From the day it was built until now, this city has so aroused my anger and wrath that I must remove it from my sight. The people of Israel and Judah have provoked me by all the evil they have done. They, their kings and officials, their priests and prophets, the men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem, they turned their backs to me and not their faces. Though I taught them again and again, they would not listen or respond to discipline. They set up their abominable idols in the house that bears my name and defiled it. They built high places for Baal in the valley of Ben-Hinnom to sacrifice their, to sacrifice their sons and daughters to Molech. That was a part of what was happening. They were actually sacrificing children. Though I never commanded, nor did it enter my mind that they should do such detestable things and so make Judah, Judah sin. Jeremiah and the other prophets had been, and many other prophets, had been warning God's people for literally decades that things couldn't go on like this. The people and the leaders wouldn't change their ways. And so God decides essentially to allow them to suffer the consequences of their actions by letting this stronger power conquer them and lead them uh, into exile. Right in the middle of all this doom and gloom, though, we have that little part that I read about Jeremiah's cousin coming to say, hey, I've got this piece of land. You're the next in line. Buy it. And Jeremiah had been told, had sort of had this vision from God that this was going to happen. So he says, okay, this is what God wants me to do. And he does it. He spends his own money buying this piece of land. Well, given the circumstances that he's also just heard that the king of Babylon is going to come in and take over everything, this doesn't look like a particularly wise investment. In fact, um, Jeremiah himself isn't quite sure that even God realizes the absurdity of, of what he's asking. And so in verse 16 of this, uh, we hear after Jeremiah says, after I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch, son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord. Starts out well, uh, sovereign Lord, you who have made the heavens and the earth in your great power and outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. So he's buttering him up. Goes on for a while like this. But he ends the prayer by trying to reflect to God how opposed to appearances it is to invest in a future in this land. In verse 25, he says, And though the city will be handed over to the Babylonians, you, O sovereign Lord, say to me, buy the field with silver and have the transaction, transaction witnessed. You sure you got that right? Is essentially what he's saying. And God's response is essentially, yeah, you heard me right. We hear from God, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. I am the Lord 
the God of all humankind, is anything too hard for me? Therefore, this is what the Lord says. And Jeremiah believes the Lord. He puts his money where his mouth is. He claims the future by acting on it. And his action is a sign to all of God's people of Jeremiah's faith in God and God's word. I realized while uh, I was writing this that this would have been a great time for me to tell all of you to give me money. It just, it's a perfect lead-in. Jeremiah made a bet on God, gave his own silver in an investment in the Lord. The word of the Lord has come to me, and God is asking you to do the same. Do you believe in the Lord? Then invest in me. I mean, invest in the church. But I'm not going to do that because that's not what I feel like I have been hearing from God. What seems most important to me is the relational connection that prompted Jeremiah's action and gave Jeremiah the strength, the courage to follow through with it. Remember again what the the essence of what angered God most. Verses 32 and 33. The people of Israel and Judah have provoked me by all the evil they have done. They, their kings, officials, priests, prophets, everybody. They turned their backs to me and not their faces. Though I taught them again and again, they would not listen or respond to discipline. They turned their backs to me and not their faces. So God says that the most important part of the restoration of God's people is not about the economic activity itself. Rather, he goes on, this is the second part of 36. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I will surely gather my people from all the lands where I banish them in my furious anger and great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. They will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always revere me for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them, a covenant, a relational covenant. I will never stop doing good to them, and I will inspire them to revere me so that they will never turn away from me. They will continue to keep their faces turned to God. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. That's one of the most dramatic assurances that God gives in all of scripture. With all my heart and soul, God says. That is astonishing. The future that God calls us to claim is primarily a future of intimate communion with and in the triune God. God will speak, we will listen, 
And because we know God's love so deeply, we will respond faithfully. God encourages us to claim that future now by listening and responding always. For Jeremiah's time and place, God chose a very specific sign to enact in order to encourage God's people about the future that was held for them beyond the devastation and the uncertainty of the moment they were in. It was a concrete act witnessed by many people and uh, used to encourage people to claim that future. God has given all of us a sign, a specific sign, that speaks to us of a future beyond this moment. This morning, we celebrate the sacrament of Holy Communion. Jesus gave up his life, the fullness of his life, from birth to death and resurrection to show us the way to the kingdom of God. His death and resurrection, particularly witnessed by many, encourage us to look beyond this moment. The bread and the wine that we share at the table encourage us to claim our future of full communion with God and act on it even now. This can happen in all kinds of ways. Spending time in prayer, coming to worship on a Sunday morning, feeding someone who's hungry, choosing these days to be kind and loving and forgiving, especially in the face of hostility and cruelty. And who knows, it might even mean contributing financially to me, I mean the congregation. The, view, the vision of the future that God will bring us is one in which we will enjoy full communion, full union with God in Christ. God has given us a substantial sign of this future and encourages us to claim that future now. Amen.